Welcome to Deviant Women. This is the podcast where we talk about deviant women from history, mythology, contemporaneity. <gasps> I just God did that to fuck you up. I did, no, I did I that literature. on purpose. I did it on purpose to fuck you up. But that's not the way that we say it. I know. I just thought <gasps> I'd try something different. But look at how you've responded. It's really confused me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. Don't throw Lauren a curveball. Don't do it. Don't do it. But anyway, I'm Alicia. And I'm Lauren. And I apologize for throwing you a curveball, That's Lauren. okay. Are you all right other than that? It shook me a little bit, but I'll recover. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah good. Excellent. I just, you know what I want to say, and we don't often do this, but I just want to say welcome to our new listeners, if we do have any. Indeed. You know, if anyone has joined us at season three or at any point along the line. That's welcome. right. Maybe this is the first episode you've ever listened to. In which case, uh, we apologize in advance and we hope that you stick with it. Yeah, exactly. You're already questioning the decisions you've made in life. <laughs> That's fine. But look, come with us. We're going to take you on a journey as we always do. Yeah. This week, we're going on a journey to a much darker place than the last couple of weeks. Yeah. The last couple of weeks have been all about art that we love, yeah. which is, you know, great, but yeah. it's also a bit, you know... Hero worshipy is the word we're using for it. Mm-hmm. So maybe not so much this time around. Lots of gushing about how much we love two women, Valley mm-hmm. Myers and Lizzie Siddle. But this figure is not somebody that we probably will say that we love. No. Because today we're talking about Queen Ranavalona, the first of Madagascar. Where the lemurs come from. I really like lemurs. They're great. But there's more to Madagascar than lemurs, Alicia. I really do believe there would be. And this period of history is quite an interesting one. So Queen Ranavalova to, uh, yeah, contrast really quite significantly with Vali Myers and Lizzie Siddle. Uh, it is a story that involves many deaths. Oh. It involves strong leadership. And I do want to emphasize that. Strong leadership. Some questionable choices. But I'm really, at the moment, particularly quite into villainous women. Yep. I really like thinking about how we define female villainy because I think that it's so different and often contrasted so much with male villains. And whether it's true crime, like your local female serial killer. (laughs) Did you know, apparently, so at the moment, I should say, I'm reading Tori Teffler's Lady Killers, which is a book that kind of chronicles a few key female killers throughout history. And apparently someone said that uh, Eileen Warnos was the US's first female serial killer. But when was that? Like the 80s? Ah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's like, well, obviously not. Yeah. But this, I think, demonstrates the fact that society just has this real weirdness when we think about women and murder and violence. You know, there's kind of a squeamishness or a um, we don't really want to attribute these things. They're not feminine. No. And so when we see them, they are either so evil Mm. that we can't kind of comprehend it properly or we kind of don't really acknowledge them at all, Mm. you know? There's this kind of idea that women's uh, violence is often seen as, as you said, as monstrous and evil and these are the words attributed to it. Like it's this 
Like it's something completely unnatural, so out of the norm for femininity mm. that mm. it is completely and utterly, well, deviant, obviously, yeah. the word that we use. Whereas quite often male figures who do similar things, they don't get those words attached yeah. to them quite in the same way. They're not quite as unnatural yeah. as women are. Not quite as monstrous. And yeah. I mean, look, when we think about a figure like Stalin, no one's a hero worshipping Stalin. Well, actually, there's probably, many people are. Yeah. Probably are some people who do. Yeah. But this is a woman who, when you do a Google search for Queen Ranavalona, you get words like the Mad Queen of Madagascar, mm-hmm. the female Caligula, and the Ooh. most murderous woman in history. Interesting. Now, the Mad Queen is an interesting one because that madness is something that's often attributed to violent women as well. Exactly. Because I immediately am thinking of someone like the Queen of Hearts. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So her reign has been remembered until quite recently as one of well violent tyranny she's been described as cruel and xenophobic as a mad woman as we've said the female caligula and to be honest many still hold this view for good reason and we shall get to that however more recently she's also been acknowledged for her strength and leadership particularly in preserving malagasy cultural and religious traditions and independence against the enormous and oppressive colonial forces of the french and the English. Oh, yeah. Because this is in the mid-1800s uh, that we're talking about here. And she did fend off the French and the English. Mm. And they were mad for Africa at this time. They And they were fucking taking over everything. Yeah. I mean, god damn. It's colonial Britain and colonial France. Mm-hmm. Like, they were very, very good at this. They were. One might call them experts. Yeah. <laughs> at Mm -hmm. colonizing small island nations. Yeah, definitely. And this is one that they couldn't get their hands on. And it's because of Rana Valona. So we do also have to keep in mind that while her reign saw the deaths of millions. Whoa, that's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. It is a lot. She's also been painted more harshly with history's brush than other similar rulers as we've been talking about who were less female and less black. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so let's just keep that in mind as we tell her story because, as let's I said... Just keep in mind how we demonise particular people. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is a violent story. And yes, she did some shit that one could attach certain words to that I won't attach them to personally. But I think it is also just worth remembering that she fucking held off the French and the British. And so the things that she did, she didn't do for no reason. There was method to her madness. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because I'm sure um, we're going to get to the things she did, but I'm sure any male leader would have done the similar sorts of things to, you know, keep colonizers at bay. If they, if they had the same goals. Yeah. 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 Perhaps. And also a lot of what we know about her, um, particularly in English, comes from the records of the white missionaries who she pissed off tremendously. Uh, So I think we also have to ask ourselves, how much do we trust the perspectives of white hetero-Christian cis men? (laughs) Which is to say not. Yeah. Maybe not heaps. In this particular context, maybe not a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So we are in Madagascar. As I said, we are in the year 1778 when she is born. And... She was born quite poor. She couldn't read or write as a child. Was reading and writing much of a thing? No, this is it. So this is another one of those things like, oh, but she was illiterate. But also like the Malagasy language didn't exist in written form until quite recently Mm. when she had been born. And so uh, it is not a kind of question of her own personal 
you know, in being illiterate. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's just a question of different cultural values. Yeah. And her father turned their family's fortune around when he stumbled on an assassination plot. Ooh. So he warned the king. Now, the king has a very long name. Um, <laughs> Are and you going to try it? I'm not. But I will describe the way that names work in Malagasy culture. They are very, very long quite often. And many of them begin with the honorific Ra. Uh, nobles and royals often begin with um, Andrea. Uh, and they have multiple designators. And so the names can end up being very, very long mm. because they basically can be broken down and translated into, you know, a sentence that describes who they are, where they're from. Yeah, right. And yep. different kind of attributes given to them. There is a shorter version of the king's name that I will attempt, and I do apologize in advance. King Adrian Amapoini Marina. Okay. That's the very short version of his name. Okay. Basically, the story is that her father warned the king about this assassination plot, and he was rewarded by having his daughter taken into the royal family and married to his son, Prince Radama. Ah, it's like how in The Cat Returns by Miyazaki that I may have happened to watch last night, just in a random... I don't know why I'm talking about this, but it's simply because she saves the king's son and then she is told she's going to marry the king's son, but the king's son happens to be a cat and she turns into a cat and never mind. So they're not cats, but we have a similar kind of fairy tale-ish start to life together. It's a very similar story except for the lack of cats. Yes. I think we can draw parallels. Yeah. Now, the king also importantly declared that their offspring should become the first in line after the succession of Radamar. Now, this is significant because she was one of 12 wives. Well, it's a lot of wives. It's a lot of wives. And that means there's probably going to be a lot of children. Children, that's right. A lot of heirs. Mm. Yeah. But hers are going to be the first. So she's the first wife. So she's got a position of influence, power, of status amongst mm-hmm. the other wives. However... She was not Radama's favorite wife, and the two of them did not bear any children together. Oh, okay. Do we know if that's because they didn't like each other, or were they trying? Like, do you know what I mean? Were they still perhaps trying for children because this is what's expected of them, but maybe there was some barrenness involved? Well, we know or... that she's not barren because she did go on to have other, other children. children. I and he's obviously had children by other people, so it's probably the fact that they just don't like each yeah, other. Yeah, and the records yeah. say that instead she used to kind of hang out uh, drinking with the courtiers and kind of just partying with those guys. <laughs> uh, and she kind of made good friends with a missionary called David Griffiths. And so she just spent her time hanging out, drinking, partying, yeah. whatever. She, I don't think she was particularly bothered. Yeah, didn't want to have much to do with him anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this uh, very happy marriage, which, well, I'm... You know, it's probably not a very happy Sarcasm. That's sarcasm. That's sarcasm. For anyone who doesn't know. It couldn't last because we know that she ends up taking the throne. So the question is how. So Radamar had recently started cozying up to the British who were doing that classic trick of offering weapons in exchange for, you know, influence, wealth, power. Getting Getting their foot in the door there. And then very mysteriously, very, very mysteriously, The king became very, very sick at the age of just 36. Okay. He was horrifically sick, like so sick that he said that he would prefer to slit his own throat than live in agony anymore. What was he sick with? Well, it could have been syphilis, Uh, psoriasis, or perhaps 
Was it cyanide? Ooh, dun, dun, dun. And look, we don't know if it was cyanide. Maybe it was all three. It could have been. It probably was. I don't want to cast dispersions. We, we don't know that uh, he was poisoned, but some suggest that he may have been. By her? Yeah. <laughs> and the whole thing about him preferring to slit his own throat than live in agony, technically, whichever one of those three it was didn't kill him. What killed him? Slit his own throat. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> he went through with it. So technically suicide, I suppose. Oh, my God. Yeah. Was not bluffing. No. Apparently. Oh. Again, this is according to what I read. Now, as they had no children and the rightful heir should have been Radama's sister's son, his nephew, Rakatobi. But while the officials were busy sorting out Rakatobi's ascendants and planning Ranavalona's execution. Oh, why well, does she get executed? Because she's a threat. Oh, okay. So meanwhile, Ranavalona was busy getting her officials, these influential people, the guys that she had been spending all this time drinking mm-hmm. and getting friendly with. Uh, she's getting them ready to declare her the successor. Right. So she and her men barricaded themselves in the palace until they could get more men together from her home village. Uh, and mostly these are men who shared her kind of conservative and traditional beliefs, who were also anti-British, anti-missions. And then on August the 11th, 1828, she declared herself sovereign, claiming that Radama had wished it so. Oh, okay. Even though there was no documentation that he had any yeah who needs documentation when you got the word of officials yeah yeah so it's a coup really she's staged a coup yeah she's locked herself in the palace yeah which is the best way of doing anything when i whenever i want something i lock myself in the house and then you call up your mates and go hey guys come around to my house and guard me yeah that's what i do i do that on a weekly basis and it's like a stalemate basically at that point yeah and then i get brought more cats yeah and then i'm happy and that's what happened yeah uh, and she won. And she's brought and- more cats. <laughs> so she took the throne and she became the first female ruler of the kingdom of Imarina since it was founded in 1540. So not the kingdom of Madagascar. This is the name of the kingdom. So Madagascar, the, the island, island. Yep. is then broken up into smaller kingdoms and oh, ethnic groups. So it's like the whole of the island. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. At this point in time. Uh, yeah, at this point it. in time. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, her kingdom was... A- Part Just of the a island. portion of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a portion with the lemurs. Hopefully. I mean, otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> Why would you want to rule it otherwise? Uh, her coronation saw her anointed with the blood of a freshly killed bull while she wore a French gown. Oh. Which is interesting because she was so anti Europe, mm. but she apparently quite liked European fashion. As long as it's covered in bull's blood. Well, exactly, because this is also kind of symbolic of her whole sort of relationship with traditional customs and European influence. Mm. And as we should talk about, but she really did bring back a lot of traditional beliefs and traditions and ways of being. But at the same time, as she rejected European influence and she really wanted nothing to do with Europe, she took the bits of European influence that suited mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit more about that yeah. soon. So she uh, also followed in the royal tradition of securing her place on the throne by murdering all of her opponents. That's pretty common, I would say. It is. It's not such an unusual thing to do. These uh, people happen to be the family members who also would have a claim on the throne. Mm. So namely Rakatobe, the nephew, his family, and other members of Radama's family. And as you said, yeah, she's not alone in this. And actually Radama had done this to 
her family when he ascended to the throne. Yeah, right. So that's, I mean, that's a global approach as well. Yeah. That's something you'd find in many other countries. That's, like, you know, murdering off your, your threat. Threatening nephews. Yeah, exactly. Getting rid Richard. of them. Locking them in a tower. It's not that unusual. them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, she's still within the realms of what's, what would be done anywhere else in the world by anyone else. Yeah. So it was, however, seen as poor form to spill the blood of the royal family, particularly royal women. And so she had to have them killed in ways that didn't result in any physical bloodletting. Mm. Uh, so this meant she locked them away in prison cells and let them starve to death or strangled them. You know? Okay. Yeah. Whichever works for you. That's a creative way of doing that. Still keeping to protocol. Yeah. So she did have this particularly problematic biographer, Keith Laidler. I love a problematic biographer. I love reading biographies that are just a little bit wrong. (laughs) I do. And I love reading them and being like, really though? Yeah. Is that just a little bit wrong? And this is the problem because this is where it becomes a little bit more difficult to distinguish between... You know, what is real and what has been exaggerated by the English and the mm-hmm. French and then further exaggerated by Keith Laidler. Yeah. And where the bias lies in his interpretation. That's right. Because yeah. apparently he doesn't have a great deal of um, citations in the book. Yeah. And it's apparently it's really quite terrible, like just quite misogynistic and racist. Not overtly, but yeah. in that way that we're all very I've read so many of those biographies. Yeah. But yeah, so this is where a lot of this stuff comes from. And I wanted to flag it just because I want people to keep that in mind, you know, because from here on out, things do get darker. Mm -hmm. But she did proclaim when she came to the throne, apparently she said, never say she is only a feeble and ignorant woman. How can she rule such a vast empire? I will rule here to the good fortune of my people and the glory of my name. I will worship no gods but those of my ancestors. The ocean shall be the boundary of my realm, and I will not cede the thickness of one hair of my realm. That's that's good. Inspirational speech. That's excellent. I'd vote for her. Well, technically, she kind of kept to her word. And this is really what she was all about. She's like, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I'm weak. I am powerful. I am strong. I'm going to protect this country. Mm. I'm going to hold this nation's identity, its traditional beliefs, its way of being, and I'm going to fuck off anyone who wants to come and take anything from Mm. us. Mm -hmm. And that is at the heart of her political philosophy. Yeah. Which is admirable, I think. Definitely. However. However. Then there's murder. Then there's the way she went about it. Okay. So we start with what seems like a particularly harsh way of acknowledging the mourning period for her husband, her dearly departed Radama. Oh, yeah. So dearly Um, departed, yeah. Really loved that guy. So she mandated that every single person had to keep their head shaved for 10 months. Professional mourners were allowed to keep their hair so that they could pull it out <gasps> appropriately. Oh, professional mourners. Imagine that as a job. I would definitely do that as a job. I think it would be exhausting. I would be great at it. I'm oh. I'm very good at wailing. If I have a good cry, like I can't do anything for the rest of the day. Yeah, sometimes you get a headache, don't you? Yeah. It just true. puts me to sleep. <laughs> I wouldn't oh, well. be very good at it. I think I'd be good at it. So if anyone out there needs a mourner, professional mourner. Can you pull your hair out on cue? I, do I actually have to pull it out of my yeah. like Fully pull it out? Yeah. Can I wear a wig oh, and pull out some of that instead? I think that's skirting the rules. <sighs> All right, maybe not. <laughs> she also made it illegal to bathe, dance, play music, sleep on a mattress, 
look in a mirror or clap your hands during the period of mourning. <laughs> That's great. Very, very strict. What if you did all of those things at once? You were sold into slavery. Oh, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> also, she sold her own people into slavery. Yes. Okay. And here's another thing. One of the good things that the British had done when they were getting all cozy during Radama's rule was that they abolished slavery. Yeah. Because the British in the early 1800s. Yeah, because what year are we in? Yeah. This is the 1820s. Yeah. So the British at this point in time were all just like, they were getting we've rid of slavery. suddenly yeah. decided that despite the amount that we have gained from this, we've, yeah. we've all decided that we're better than this and we're going to get rid of it. But then she thought she'd just bring it back. She brought it back. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So that's another... That's, that's a tick in the bad column. Yeah, definitely. We've got a couple of ticks in the good column. Pros and cons. But that's a that's a con. Yeah. That's a con. That's a con. So she was quick to act on her political desires, though. So as I said, that speech, that kind of foundation for her rule, she was pretty quick to act on this. She wasn't all talk. Uh, she quickly overturned the trade agreements that Radamar had made with the British and the French, and she expelled their representatives. She basically made sure that they knew that they needed to just fuck off and they were no longer welcome in Madagascar. Uh, and instead, she initiated a policy of self-reliance. So part of this included implementing a policy called Thanamapona, which was... <laughs> Here we go. Which was forced labour in lieu of taxes... Oh, because I was going to say, you know, like a policy of self-reliance. Like I'm actually all on board with that. Yeah. You know? I actually think that's great because, you know, there's such a false economy in just getting everything made overseas and then shipped back to us. <laughs> and, you know, one day we're going to be at war with China and then we're going to be fucked well, because we're going to have nothing anymore and we don't produce anything here anymore. So, you know, self-reliance. Trade can be good for the economy, though. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. That. But I, but I do think there's a false economy in having everything produced overseas. So you know, the self reliance business, I'm on board with. But then it sounds to me like it, it devolves yeah. into some stuff I'm not on board. And with. I'm going to talk about the positive sides of this in a moment because there really were some very big positives that came out of this, and I'm coming to that. But at the moment, we're talking about the forced labour. Yeah, that's, and that's I'm part not, of it. I'm not on board with that. And it also included military conscription. And so she'd soon also bulked up the army. So she also wanted to continue expanding the kingdom like her predecessor, her husband, Radamar did. And so she sent the army into neighboring provinces to take over. And those who resisted uh, had their valuables seized, which is another classic move. Classic. She's not alone in this. Uh, and they were either executed or bought back as slaves. slaves. And the French unsurprisingly, were not heaps keen on any of this. So they launched an attack on the city of Tamataye within just a few months of her reign. They made some ground though, but they were ultimately defeated by this freshly bulked up defending army. And they were helped quite considerably by malaria-infested mosquitoes. Oh yeah, they are really handy. Disease is, tropical disease is so yeah. handy. Look, if you do want to envision her as this is like super evil villainous queen maybe we can imagine her like purposefully sending out the like malaria shooting, infested like shooting mosquitoes yeah like the sharks hands. with laser guns on their heads yes um i mean look that's not what happened i don't think that's what happened either hey if we made a movie out of it then we'd do it that way yeah. and she'd shoot bees out of her mouth yeah maybe <laughs> malaria ridden bees yeah um now part of her isolation strategy so here we're coming to the good part 
meant <laughs> that she was developing a self-sustaining industry. The good part. Okay. No, you were talking just before about Oh, yes, about self-sustaining. Yeah, I'm totally on board with self I just wanted to finish off the negatives, and now we're in the positives. Good, excellent. I'm on board. What is her plan for self-reliance? Can I get on board it? No, she really did. She set up factories and began the Industrial Revolution in Madagascar. Mm-hmm. So she really actually legitimately set off the Industrial Revolution in Madagascar, which right. is really pretty remarkable so despite the fact that she was pretty isolationist and anti-foreigner she did enlist the help of a few learned foreigners to help her set up this industry so this is what i was talking about where Mm -hmm. i meant like it kind of she uses it when it suits her a little bit so one of these people was a shipwrecked guy named jean laborde he was a french guy you don't say yeah (laughs) with the name like that who may have been her slave and may have also been her lover oh lover slave and may have been her baby daddy oh Love a baby daddy slave. Yeah. Interesting dynamic. I don't know how it worked. So she found out that he was an accomplished kind of tradesman and that he had a lot of experience in munitions. So he was well-versed in like metallurgy, munitions and engineering. And so she was like, this is my guy. He's going to help me build up this industry so that we can be self-reliant and we can stop relying on the French and the British for all our guns and ammo. Because remember that that's how the British were kind of getting in. They were selling them guns. Mm -hmm. So together they set up infrastructure. They trained people in industrial development. They were establishing factories. And soon they were producing heaps of stuff by themselves. They were producing guns and ammunition, but also things like sugar uh, and clothing and textiles, food and alcohol even, everything that a good society needs to survive. Now, Jean also helped her with a couple of other really choice inventions, but I'm going to come back to these in a moment as a fun surprise. Choice inventions. Yeah. Choice. (laughs) Okay, so again, part of her isolationist strategy was she also turned her attention to the missionaries now as i said during radamar's reign he was making friends with everyone there had been like a lot of mission schools and things like that established and people were starting to convert but rena valona she was like christianity not sure about this Mm -hmm. uh as she said in her speech she wanted to return the island to its traditional religious and spiritual practices Uh, and so she didn't like come out full frontal with her attack on Christians or missionaries. She allowed them to keep practicing. And in fact, she actually kind of like sanctioned uh, several hundred Malagasy's to be baptized and attend church services within her first few years of reign. So but she obviously didn't see it as too much of a threat to be with. Not at first. The thing that changed her mind was basically the backlash that this drew from her supporters. Mm. So remember that the whole reason she was able to, stage this kind of coup and take over was because she had the backing of all of the conservative powerful people Mm -hmm. behind her and they were not keen on 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 this so she eventually after a few years did start to implement some anti-christian policies Uh, she started just by restricting christian and missionary activities Uh, But by 1831, she'd banned Christian marriages, church services, and studying at missionary schools for the Malagasy people. She did also keep a distinction between the Malagasy people practicing Christianity and foreigners practicing Christianity. Mm -hmm. So uh, she was okay with foreigners continuing to practice because that was their religion, but she was not keen on the Malagasy converting or practicing Christianity Mm -hmm. at all. So she's quite xenophobic, but obviously there's still quite a few... Are these foreigners, are they French and British? Yeah, they're the people who are still kind of left over in the country who I guess maybe are still trying to hang on and Mm -hmm. still trying to, Mm -hmm. particularly through the missions, like there were a lot of 
missions. Uh, and I think they were still attempting to kind of have some influence and infiltrate and, and yeah. whatever. So it takes her a while to start cracking down on that. Yeah. yeah. But by 1835, she was really, really cracking down. And so she made, basically made it a capital offense for Malagasy people to cra- practice Christianity. If anyone was caught, they were charged with witchcraft, they were exiled, or they were executed. Wow. Don't you love it when Christianity is witchcraft? Yeah, That's isn't it? so good. There's some really, yes, interesting kind of, not parallels, but like, the tables have turned. Yeah, my, right. my, my. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And the punishments for practicing Christianity. Slash witchcraft. Slash witchcraft, yes. Were not amazing. Because basically it was seen as treason. Uh. And so one of them included being... So you were tied, I guess, around your ankles and then thrown from a cliff. And so then halfway down the cliff... Oh, like you, a bungee. Thing. A little bit like a right. bungee. Yeah. But halfway down you would get... You know, boinged, stop. Boinged. Except you don't, it's not elastic, so you don't get a nice yeah. coming back yeah. up. You're just like, oh, fuck, that hurt everything yeah. in my body. And then you were asked to denounce Christianity. And if you didn't, you were cut and you went down the rest of the way. And this was something that happened quite famously to a group of about 14 or 15 Christians who became known as kind of some of the first martyrs. Yeah. And a cathedral has since been built on the spot where this happened to them to honor them. There's also some very interesting parallels there yeah isn't it isn't it really interesting interesting. the way that the tables are turned in this story and i think that this is also something that's really worth keeping in mind again when we think when we tell this story and the way that we tell stories the kind of those parallel stories where this is what the british and the french are doing to other nations where for such a long obviously we don't talk about it in a positive way now but for such a very long time it was not seen as being problematic and it was not seen mm. as being violent and it was not you know it was like no you need to convert and your pagan practices are witchcraft and are yeah. threatening and etc so however again the punishments we can't condone. We can't condone no. these practices. Uh, she also practiced something called progressive amputation. Well, that seems like it speaks for itself. Well, exactly. I don't actually have the <laughs> definition of this, but I think we can all imagine that. It's... Yeah, I'm taking a guess at what progressive amputation was. Sounds yeah. not very. Doesn't sound good. Good. No. I mean, I wonder where they start. Like just with your fingertip, yeah. and then they work. Or like way. with your toes or oh. something. Like. Oy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she also sometimes set people on fire. Oh, that's not good. Decapitated them, mm. stoned them, poisoned them. Apparently she would do things like put poison on the, on her shoes and then have people kiss her feet. Really? I don't know if that's true because that does sound like something that somebody who really wants to make someone sound evil would yeah, make up. has made up. Yeah. Like that's Disney villain-esque, isn't it, is. it? That's actually too far for Disney villain-esque. That's straight up villain-esque. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Apparently, she also would crush your testicles in a vice. Oy, good thing I don't have testicles. Yeah. And she flayed people. Oh, well, I've got... There's no way of getting out of flaying. No, flaying sounds, I think, honestly, like the worst thing in the world that could ever happen to you. It's not good. Oh. I don't know. Getting set on fire is also pretty bad. Yeah, but at least you might pass out from the smoke inhalation. How long would it take you, do you think, to pass out oh, from flaying? I think it depends on... Where they start with the flaying. Should we what, not get bogged down? What part down of in you this? are they flaying? You Let's know? not get bogged down in this. Again, if they start with the fingers, oh yeah. You're probably gonna be conscious That's gonna for take a while. A long time, isn't it? Right? 
Yeah, not good. Anyway. I don't want to harp on, on this particular look, subject. Look, it's not going to get better no. for a little while. It's not helping my anxiety. Because she also implemented, or rather reinstated, a practice called... Anything called an ordeal is not going to be good. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not good. It's not like you go down to the local shops and buy like an ice cream ordeal. It's also it's one of these thing. things that's a test. Ah, oh, much like the throwing off the cliff and yeah. the needing to renounce. Yeah, yeah okay, it's yeah. an ordeal because you're. it is putting you on the line. It is testing your faith. It's testing yeah. your... Mm-hmm. Honesty, yeah. it's testing your loyalty. And there's a way out. You may survive it. Yeah, you can survive it. Yeah. You can. You could. But... It's an interesting way of determining truth from lie, though, and I'll, I'll tell you why. So basically, the poison is extracted from the nut of the native Tangina shrub. It is then mixed with three pieces of chicken skin uh, that those suspected of treason or witchcraft or other similar offences were forced to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you vomited up all three pieces, you were deemed to be innocent. Uh, if you didn't vomit it up, but the poison killed you, you were guilty. And if you didn't vomit it up, but the poison also didn't kill you, you were then tortured to death because you were clearly still guilty. So, I mean, the trial was suspect, like it was supposed to represent divine justice. I suppose it's, it's the same kind of methodology as dunking your witch in water. You know, does she yeah, float or definitely. does she sink? Yeah. Does she weigh the same as a duck? <laughs> what if you what if you vomited up two pieces? Ooh, Ooh. maybe it's, I think I reckon you're still guilty. You're still guilty? Probably. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for sure, but yeah. yeah. So that was the ordeal, basically ingesting poison and whether or not you survived the poison. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Like you said, very similar to dunking, dunking yeah. your local witch. Because it's not like where you are thrown from a cliff and you have the opportunity to renounce. Yeah, that's right. In this, you don't. It's just the luck of the draw, really. Mm. And, of course, their logic is that it is divine intervention. But, yeah, wouldn't have been fun. And, on average, 20 to 50% of those who underwent the ordeal died. Wow. I actually would have expected it to be more than that. In the 1820s, it caused a 1,000 deaths annually. Annually? Annually. Which rose to 3,000 annually by the 1830s. So how long did this go on? Well, okay, here we go. So it's estimated that by 1838, as many as 100,000 people died as a result of the Tangina ordeal. That's enormous. 100,000. That's a lot of chicken skins. a lot. That's 300,000 chicken skins, but it's 100,000 people. That's because, of course, like, it's just becoming more and more popular. And also remember the way that, like, kind of hysteria and things, like, work during these witch crazes, you know? So like, do other people start instigating it themselves? Yes, exactly. So it's very similar to what happened during, you know, the witch craze where yeah. you have neighbours turning on neighbours and people who are just kind of accusing their neighbours of really petty crimes, And it just sort of snowballed, I think, Mm. you know, in the same way that this happens all over the world. And again, I don't know how accurate that number is. There's a good chance that that's very exaggerated. As I said, a lot of our sources are quite racist Mm. uh, and they are from a Western sort of imperial perspective. So we do have to take these numbers with a grain of salt, I think. But if it's true, that's um, ridiculous. Yeah, I'm just processing. (laughs) So, like, I guess these are the reasons why she's called the Mad Queen of Madagascar. Uh, There's another one of these stories. I'm just going to get through them. So, 
Basically, it wasn't just a terrifying time for Christians in Madagascar, or witches for that matter. Her own people often did end up kind of equally as disposable. In 1845, for example, she wanted to go on this buffalo hunt. Now, she was like, okay, I'll bring my courtier friends. We'll all go on a buffalo hunt together. It's going to be a great time. It's pretty usual for a yeah, standard monarch. Yeah, and she told all of her courtiers, bring your own servants. We're going to have a party. It's going to be a great time. So they all brought their servants and their slaves. But before anyone could blink, there was suddenly like 50,000 people going on this hunt. That's a lot of people for a hunt. It's a lot of people, especially considering that it wasn't particularly well planned. Uh, and I don't think anyone really suspected that they would end up with this number of people, which meant that they didn't have any of the necessary equipment or tools. <laughs> oh, or like provisions? Provisions, like <laughs> importantly, food. <laughs> And so the jungle was pretty wild. So she demanded that a road be built as they went. Unfortunately, this was, as I said, kind of an on-the-fly decision on her part that they weren't really prepared for, for the construction or, as we said, for providing provisions for these people who were now working to build a road through the jungle. There were no supplies. They had to start taking advantages of villages that they came across along the way. So they basically kind of like just stripped these villages bare. The nobles were paying exorbitant amounts of money to get what few supplies there were. So let alone imagine how it must have been for like the servants Mm. and stuff. And so, of course, people started dying and they started dying in really high numbers. The road became littered with the corpses of the people who were dying along the way. And meanwhile, she's just selling her happy procession yeah. along the road. Oh, and so so many people died that they couldn't even bury them. They just ditched them by the side of this newly built road. In total, about 10,000 people died. Whoa. No buffalo were killed on the hunt. <laughs> so we never even got to the buffalo. They did not kill a single buffalo. Yeah. So this is the kind of stuff that made her very infamous. Yeah. Obviously. None of these stories are amazing. And we're kind of getting towards the end of all of these awful stories. Uh, but in in total, it's estimated that her policies are responsible for halving the population of Madagascar. Oh, my God. From 5 million to 2.5 million. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe population control was secretly one of her hopes. <laughs> As I said, this is a hard story to tell because, I mean, again, I think this is something that I've struggled with with this episode because it's this whole line of where do we want to t- share these stories because we want to celebrate these women and where do we share these stories because we're fascinated by the fact that women are capable of evil oh yeah well i think that's i mean and it's important to acknowledge that we yeah, are capable of evil definitely well i mean i think that's the whole purpose i mean you know we're, we're deviant women we're not just about hero worshipping mm. you know those women that we celebrate who yeah. you know are fabulous because they, they broke the rules in really awesome ways that's right because you know femininity and deviant femininity is also about breaking those rules in really awful yeah. ways And I think especially when we look at female leadership, that's something that I find really fascinating. And, I mean, her story is probably not really – I mean, she's maybe a little bit more murderous than even our Russian Anna. Yeah. I I think we did in Series 1. Yeah, Empress Anna. But reminds me of that sort of – just that idea of how women can rule in these ways that we see as incredibly – monstrous Mm. and i think that that's so fascinating because we don't like to think of those being 
particularly feminine traits. You yeah. Know? But of course, women are just as capable of doing these sorts of things. And in fact, this became a problem for Queen Victoria because she was also coming into power at the same time. And when the British were looking at the possibility of having this female monarch, they then looked over at Madagascar and were like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. Look at this fucking crazy woman. Is this what we want? Yeah. You know, can we trust a woman to be in charge of us? She's so irrational and a mad woman and, you know, is obviously leading with, you know, probably her womb. Let's face it. That's probably what they would have said. Yeah. And so there are British uh, opponents to Queen Victoria who claimed that women weren't fit to be rulers by using Queen Ranavalona as a model. And so I've got actually this quote from um, a paper that I'll link to in the show notes that says Victorians magnified and often distorted Ranavalona's transgressions in order to delineate an increasingly circumscribed feminine, domestic, Christian and imperial role for their own queen. This is a really interesting idea as well, because I think what I find interesting about this too is that there's also another sort of concept that women automatically make better leaders or Mm. might make better leaders because of particularly feminine qualities. And I think when we look back at history and we see these kind of women in leadership roles like this, I mean, this is obviously at one end of the extreme scale, (laughs) but I do think it's interesting just to, to see that sometimes, you know, this concept of gender doesn't necessarily dictate who's a better leader in any way, shape or form. It comes down to those individual circumstances Mm. time and time again yeah and that i think kind of breaks down that whole idea about the gender divide in leadership yeah uh which you know is still obviously a problem in a lot of ways but i guess i don't know figures like this i think yeah there's also a lot of very racialized language when Mm. talking about a ruler like rana valona as well she's not just kind of being boxed by that gender, the, those restrictions yeah. of femininity, she was also compared to Queen Victoria because Queen Victoria was held up as this paragon of Victorian femininity. You know, she was a mother and she portrayed all of those domestic virtues that the Victorians loved so much, but she was also the white queen. Yeah. The imperial white queen. And her contrast was Rana Valona of Madagascar, who was a black queen who was seen as being inherently evil, a mad woman. And I mean, who has probably had a lot of stories about her exaggerated in order to use this. And I use quote unquote, because this is their words, not mine, but savage kind of queen, Mm. you know, that's also plays into this as well. So it's really hard to be able to also gauge where that line is of also how we remember and talk about these figures as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to the story now that we've broken that down for a minute. So in 1849, the French and the English attacked again. Uh, and this time, though, she'd had the help of Jean Laborde and years of industrial development to help her out. And so the attackers were quickly foiled by these choice inventions that I was sort of alluding to earlier. Choice inventions. So one of these was, this is really quite clever. I, I like this. These shields that Laborde had designed that were designed to bounce cannonballs back at the French what? and the English. Yeah. What were they made 
better. I don't know. You make bouncing shields for <laughs> And again, do it. I don't know. Is this real? Who can say? That's but genius. Apparently, she also had a, a three thousand mile long wall built along the coastline. Oh, her and everybody else. Yes. And if, though, they managed to get in, she had another fortress inside the fortress. Oh, yeah. So it was sort of like layers of fortress that she had going on. Layer upon layer upon layer. Great defences. She also had a few ideas for some other defences that never quite got off the ground because they didn't quite work out. But Give it to me. I got in, ideas for defences. Yeah, inventions that she had planned. Run them past me. One, a pair of giant human-sized scissors. Fuck yeah. So that she could chop people in half. Hells yeah. She was going to hide in the jungle and snip him in half. Oh my God. That's like that terrible movie, The Great Wall with Matt Damon that we watched not that long ago, which was awful, but they yeah. had those scissors too. Really? They had the scissors in the movie. It, look, I don't, I do not recommend that movie. It was fucking yeah, ratchet. Bothered, but... but they did have the scissors. <laughs> oh dear. Uh... So she didn't invent, she didn't manage to invent the scissors. No, the scissors never got off the ground. Oh, so disappointed. Yeah. It was just a plan. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, I'm against violence, but I do think those scissors are great. Yeah. <laughs> but as I said, the attack failed, and so she had the heads of the invaders impaled on pikes and lined them up along the beach as a warning to others. Oh, look. That's what... Standard move. That's a standard move. Standard move. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Upside, if we're back on the positive column, she had managed to defeat the French and the British. Definite pro. In the 1840s. That's pretty impressive stuff. It's impressive. She secured their independence. This is no mean feat mm. at this time. Like, that really is a lot. And she continued to build. She industrialized the nation. She built cities. She built buildings. And so despite her very, very violent tendencies, she was regarded by many as a formidable and powerful leader, somebody who was favored by the gods, somebody who had the nation's interests at heart, who maintained their serenity their traditional practices and who was you know malagasy first mm. you know with the hat yeah but not everyone felt this way obviously so eventually her son who was named rokoto and who was apparently perhaps the son of labord as i said oh yeah, yeah. right uh-huh. he maybe betrayed her and it depends on whether or not oh, you no. believe the french or the english on this what if I don't believe anyone? What if yeah. I don't believe the French or the English? Probably is the correct decision yeah. on this. But these are the two versions that I've got. So apparently he conspired with a French merchant, Joseph Lambert, who was apparently kind of the mastermind of a coup. Uh, he wanted to get her off the throne because, of course, he had his eyes set on land and he was going to exploit it, all of that typical stuff. That you should you know. Say. So he had Rokoto sign a document that was written in French. Now, apparently Rokoto was not very well read in French. So he only spoke a little bit of French. And so he wasn't really able to decipher what exactly was on this document. Yeah, that's a problem. He was told that it was a letter about how his mother was treating the people, which Radomar did sympathize with because he really did want better for his people. But what the letter apparently really was, was requesting the French military to intervene, which would eventually hopefully lead to French rule. So Ricardo grew suspicious of this letter and he contacted a British diplomat and the British refused to go along with the French on the attack. So the whole thing fell apart. But Lambert wasn't going to give up. And so he continued his plan to enact the coup. So 
Here's where we kind of get the split version of events about what went down. If you believe the French, then Rococo was totally on board the whole time. He knew what the letter was really about. He only pretended to not know what it was about because he was apparently super keen to bring down his mother and take the throne. For himself, yeah. Yeah. If you believe the English, however, he was tricked by the French and he never wanted any of this in the first place. So it just so happened that Ida Pfeiffer, do you know her? She's a... She's a, a traveller extraordinaire, sort yeah. of, I guess. Is that what you would say That's she right. Was? Intrepid lady adventurer and writer. Lady adventurer. Yep. That's, I think that's Ida Pfeiffer, who yeah. is another potential deviant woman. Well, I was going to say that. Yeah. Candidate, uh, in the future. She happened to be in Madagascar at the same time, and she was hanging out with Lambert, I suppose, because they were both kind of expats in Madagascar. And she had been warmly received by Rana Valona when she first arrived in May of 1857, but kind of accidentally ended up becoming involved in this coup plot. Um, I think basically because she was just hanging out in that circle. But it did mean that she documented it, which is really great for us. So the plan was that on June 20, ministers and soldiers loyal to Rokoto would infiltrate the grounds and declare loyalty to the prince and take over. But apparently with some, there was a mix up and the soldiers weren't where they were supposed to be. The British though, reckoned that Rokoto had actually remained loyal to Radna Valona the whole time and warned her about the coup, um, which meant that was why the soldiers weren't there. Didn't turn up. And apparently he had let the plot unfold right up until this last crucial moment in order to reveal who was loyal and who wasn't loyal. Yeah. So the plot either way didn't succeed, obviously. Um, and so this meant that Rana Valona had all of those who were involved in the plot executed, except for the Europeans who she had banished. So this meant that Ida, along with Laborde and Lambert, were kicked out. Mm. Now, Ida, unfortunately, contracted malaria during oh no. her time in Madagascar. From the malaria bees that spat out of her mouth. That's right. And she died a year after returning to Austria. So what happened to Rokoto? He just kind of remained the crown prince. And was he, not punished. He wasn't punished. He was fine. So I guess this kind of supports the idea that, that he was on her side. Yeah, yeah, that he did warn her after yeah. all. Or at least was really good at covering his tracks. And when the plot fell through, was totally like... Wasn't implicated Hey, yet. mom, guess what? Yeah. There's this plot that I totally foiled. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Or, yeah, whatever. Wasn't implicated at all so as i said the writing was kind of on the wall by this point anyway she was getting quite old and this meant that those around her were starting to think about and plot who was going to take over once she died um so the options were rakoto who was her son obviously or her nephew who was quite popular because he was also really conservative so those who wanted to kind of maintain these isolationist policies etc were wanting the nephew to take over so in August 1861, Rana Valona was on her deathbed. She was 82. So an she, impressive run. She had a good run. Yes. And her son, meanwhile, he was like, mum's on her way out. So he pulled a classic Rana Valona move 
and was just like, right, let's surround the palace oh, with my soldiers. Let's barricade ourselves in and claim the throne. Yeah. So uh, like mother, like son, he made sure that he had his people on hand and they um, ensured that he was the one who was physically there uh, when she died. So he was able to take over, which he did. When she died, 12,000 zebu, which are a uh, cattle type yeah. okay. animal. Buffalo-y, cow-y type thing? Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. Cattle. Was slaughtered in her honour and the meat was distributed to the people, which is good. No and waste. it wasn't poisoned. No, it wasn't poisoned. Okay, that's important. That I know of. <laughs> Maybe it was. The mourning period lasted nine months, which is one month shorter than her husband. Oh, and no one had to shave their head this time? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not, no. So her body was laid out in this coffin that was like silver. And now Ooh. at her funeral, there was a little accident. <laughs> Love an accident. Um, a spark ignited a barrel of gunpowder oh. that for some fucking reason was like right near her coffin. <laughs> and it exploded and killed a bunch of people. Oh, no. More funerals. Yeah. And apparently it like did... Quite a lot of damage to the royal palace. Yikes. So it was quite a big deal. Not maybe the best way to go out, but anyway. In lieu of a, like, a fireworks display or some kind of like... Hey, can't say she didn't go out with a bang. Hey, oh. So her son, Rakoto, did succeed her. and I swear to God, every time you say that, I think you're saying Rakoto. Rakoto. Rakota. Rakota. He was a very a man made of curds and whey. He was a des- delicious. It's just the whey, isn't it? Yeah. Ricotta. It's actually not that delicious. It doesn't have much of a flavor, really. No, it's because it's the whey, not the curds. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Prince Ricotto, uh, he succeeded her and he took the name Radamar II. He undid a bunch of the stuff that she started. So, as I said, he stopped the Tangina ordeal. Not a bad That's thing. That's good. That's good. He established freedom of religion, also probably good. a good thing. What about slavery? Did Ended get... slavery. That's a good thing? Yes. And he opened the borders to trade. That's all right. It depends what kind of trade. <laughs> However, wow, I'm so down on trade You really tonight. don't like trade. Trade's a good thing. I don't like trade just fine. I just don't know why I'm being down on this. <laughs> no, I just am. However, due to these policies, apparently like within a year or so, there was this kind of problem of a rise in public drunkenness. Oh, no. Yeah, so because of all of the newly imported alcohol oh. that was so readily available, everyone was just getting smashed. There and you go, trade. It's, it's bad. Maybe, Again, it's bad. Maybe just don't do it all at once. Yeah, that's true. You know, maybe yeah. you just need to introduce things. At a, Take it slow. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Who's, who can, I'm not an economist. <laughs> I don't know these things. I'm definitely running for prime minister on the basis of my trade. Tonight. Your total anti-trade. My anti-trade that I've laid out tonight. <laughs> well, you've got a few weeks. I do, I do. So get those signs yeah, up. Yeah, I could. The upper classes got really mad, claiming that Ricotto wasn't enforcing strict import-export regulations well enough. Maybe that's fair enough. So not really knowing how to deal with this chaos that was caught up starting around him, he introduced dueling as a method of problem solving. That doesn't fix what? No, that's ridiculous. That's not a that's not a solution. Yeah, I mean maybe he was like, well, I can't reintroduce the Tangina ordeal. What else could I do that maybe is in the same heart? No, that's the same vein. You know. Help. 
And unfortunately, there was also a cholera epidemic at the same time, which meant that everyone started to think, not everyone, but some people started to think that the island was cursed by Radavalona's ghost who was haunting them. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was. In the form of cholera. (laughs) Yeah. If I was a ghost, I'd haunt in the form of cholera too. Cholera for everybody. 30 years later, (laughs) fast forward 30 years, (laughs) Madagascar became a French colony and Christianity spread widely. The end. The end. (laughs) Um, So basically all of this work that she did to remain kind of independent was undone, which was, look, to be honest, probably going to happen. She had a really good run. She kept the French and the English out for a very long time, but... There were the French and the English. Yeah. You know? Well, there's not many countries uh, in the African continent that have no. not been colonised in one way, shape or form. No. I think Ethiopia was very briefly colonised by the Italians. Yeah, and then they, but the Italians was, lost Yeah, to the but that was very, very brief. Mm. So I think maybe they're the front runners. Yeah. It's also, I think, perhaps goes to show that while I don't condone any of her violent methods or policies, perhaps it does suggest that these really extreme policies were necessary in order to keep the French and the British at bay. Mm. Because not very many countries managed to do that. No. You know? And so the way that we remember her is very mixed. And uh, I read a paper that interviewed a bunch of contemporary people living in Madagascar about the continuing kind of legacy of Ravenalona and there are very mixed responses Mm. so some people do think that she was this kind of monstrous evil woman who implemented policies that were harmful not just physically to people but harmful to the nation in the sense that they thought that trading with Europe was a very good thing and it would have advanced Madagascar faster. But then there are, by contrast, other people who say that, no, she was a very strong and powerful leader who maintained, you know, like we said before, these kind of traditional nationalistic policies that they really admire, that she did a really good thing in keeping the French and the British away, that she was responsible for so much industry, so many new buildings and infrastructure, and they are all really good things. So um, it seems like even today, her legacy remains quite mixed Mm. within Madagascar itself. But she's obviously a figure that's known. Though she's obviously yes. somebody that it's not like she's been buried under, you know, history, kept no. out of history books or covered over. Absolutely. She's somebody that is actually still a prominent part yeah. of history. Yeah. And I think also maybe more in the West and in the English speaking world, people are becoming a lot more aware of the way that her story has been told through this lens, which is quite racially driven mm. Um, well, that's it's all about who writes the history. That's exactly. what we say that all the time. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So even if people like we do don't, you know, can't condone her actions, at least we're still becoming more aware and acknowledging the way that we've told her story and the problematic way that her to- her story has been told traditionally as well. Mm. And that's about it. That's well, right uh, up. look, I do enjoy some batshit leadership <laughs> interesting policies interesting policies yeah. there's still a lot of batshit leadership again, out there today and i do also just like isn't there some part of you that really digs the violence that it's fascinating isn't it like that part of human depravity i think is a really really interesting 
path to go down. You don't get to go down it very often and you don't get to go down it when we're talking about women very often. And so I also do think that it's important to recognize that like women are capable of being violent and, you know, it's not a good thing. It's not a thing to celebrate, but it exists. Yeah. Well, we're not just here for the celebration. We're here for the stories. Yeah. We're here for bringing to you, hopefully, some figures that you haven't heard of before. And it is a good story. It is. It's a bloody good story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that story as violent and awful as some of it was. Maybe you've never heard of her before. If not, now you do. I hadn't heard of her before. So you've enlightened me tonight. Cool. Well, I think it's good to have some villains along the way. Yeah. I do love a villain. I I do like a villain. I do like an evil lady from time to time. Yeah. So who knows where we'll go next time. Maybe it'll be a villain again. Ooh. I don't know yet. Actually, I haven't made up my mind. No guarantees. No guarantees. Yes. So we'll see. But in the meantime, if you did enjoy the podcast, please join us on the social medias. We are at Deviant Women on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon. Yay! Extra content there. Or you can buy some merch on Etsy. And you can subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, your podcasting app of choice. And please leave us reviews. We love those. They're really good. And as always, a very big thank you to India Hui for the music and to Brendan Davies for the sound. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.